Hey, everybody, welcome back to Turn Bark Time. I'm the Turn. I'm the Bark. And we're going to be here for a long, long time because this is season four, episode seven. And we have a great topic about tonight. We prefaced it uh, in our last episode. Thank you to the 21 people who watched it. We really appreciate it. Uh, and that, my friend, is something that I got a text from Barker December like 26th or 27th saying this should be a topic. And it is the greatest beer run ever. Now, reference point, uh, this is now a motion picture on Apple TV, I believe. Apple TV Plus or whatever it is now. Um, and so being who I am as a teacher, I had to grab the book the first time, right? Because I had to read through the book before I watched the movie. Barker had already um, used his seven-day trial, so he was in it to win it. Um, and this led us to a really cool freaking story. This is, I think that, and I, we haven't even talked about this, but I think this is what interests us about history so much is there's stories like this woven into history and you just have to be willing to go look for them. So Barker, the year is 1967. Really quick, I, I want to give a shout out to Bugga from my first period class who recommended the movie to me. Okay. Um, that's not his legal name, but, uh, but that's anybody at Ari Long. The interweb. <laughs> Bugga has great movie suggestions, and I gave, I give, we trade movie suggestions. Um, Bugga, so, go Bugga. watch the Adjustment Bureau. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a story about one John chick or chicky chicky donahue donahue which i don't know if in the book it i didn't read the book i read a lot of articles does it right. describe why he gives, has that nickname uh he mentions it i want to say at some point in the very beginning he talks about why he's called that but i don't i did not find i can't think of that off the, off the top of my head yeah so like i i watched the film and then read a ton of articles um and like they almost exclusively refer to him by this by by Chicky or Chick. Nobody calls him John. Um, but anyway, he's this guy. He's in his early or mid twenties. We'll say mid twenties. I think he's twenty six. Yeah, not um, allowed to join the Marine Corps anymore. He's too yeah, old. he's so sixty seven. Vietnam War is happening. He is from Inwood, New York, which is on a it's in Upper Manhattan. So for those of us outside of it's anyway, it's on the island of Manhattan. It's Manhattan, Manhattan. It's in New York. Um, they have accents to our tens of followers on in New York. We're sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can tear us apart for uh, terrible accents. Right. What he's doing right now is Boston, right? Because he tried to pack his cat to have it and everything like that. That's Boston. So yeah, he's sorry, making it so much worse right now. <laughs> Anyways. Um, Movie so. Time. Donahue's at the bar and like he they're they're watching the news at the bar. They're at a bar called Doc Fiddler's. I think it's a saloon. Yep. That's how old it is. But anyway, um, they're there drinking. And then the bartender who's one George Lynch, who they called the colonel, 
despite the fact that he never actually held that rank. <laughs> um, I think they said he was a some article. It's kind of debated. Some of the articles said that he was a PFC at one point, but that's how high he gets. It's it's spoken out of respect. So the line is. Go ahead, keep going. Sorry, I'll find yeah. the line. Anyway, so like the bartender's there with the guys, and like they're watching like anti-war protests. And he's kind of getting frustrated because it's like people aren't supporting the troops. And they've had, like, even just from, like, the local, like, Inwood neighborhood, there's been, like, 28, like, guys that have gone over and died, like, fighting in the war. And he kind of makes this flippant comment about, like, somebody should go over there and, like, show them that we care. Like, somebody should, like, buy them a beer. And Chicky just, like, randomly just kind of pipes up and goes, I'll do it. Just, well, just... <laughs> so I'm going to add to this. This is where it's going to be fun to compare articles uh-huh. to the book. So first off, the guy, is, he's called Colonel. It's in the opening line of the book. And he says, George Lynch was the bartender. We called him Colonel. It was an honorary title since he only made private first class in the Army. But he was a great military historian and a patriot. So what goes on to happen, Barker, so I, I double-checked it. It's 28 guys have died at this point from Inwood. Uh, Inwood, sorry. And... Uh, and so basically, uh, what's really interesting is Chicky gives you his perspective at the beginning of this run and at the end of this run. And it's cool to see how his mind kind of changes his own opinions as he goes through. Anyway, like Parker said, they're watching these protests. The Colonel, the Chicky is a, is a merchant Marine, which means he is one of those guys that works on those massive ships you see docked in like Seattle, New York, New Jersey, um, yeah, Longview, California areas, like all these massive cargo ships. And so he has access to ships that are transporting supplies to Vietnam that are not military grade ships, they are merchant Marines. They're so they're civilians. Well, he has a seaman card, and basically what that means is he can go down to the union that he works for, and he can sign up to go on any ship. And so the the colonel thinks that he can just take that card and go take the ship and, and get on the ship. And Chicky very clearly says, we don't look anything alike. There's no way this would work. So he goes on to volunteer to carry out this crazy scheme of bringing some beers to the guys in the neighborhood. That are in Vietnam. Yep. During the war. Yeah. And guys that so, have gotten drafted, and I think there's guys that have gotten drafted and guys that got vo- that volunteered. Yeah. So. Um, and so, like, it's only a matter of days for him to go in. Like, he says, hey, I want to jump on a ship and go to, you know, I want to get on a container ship that's going to Vietnam um he's been twice before he's a former marine he was in the marine corps from 58 to 64 served in japan and the philippines but i don't think saw any active combat no combat um and so yeah he starts the two-month journey on the uss drake victory yep carrying ammunition from new york to vietnam he works as an oiler on the boat and he ends up he lands in vietnam i think it says january 19th of 68. can i jump in really quick yeah 
So word gets out. The colonel starts telling everybody that Chicky's going to take beers to the boys in Vietnam and show them that they support. So one day Chicky goes into the bar and it's full. And like all of a sudden everyone is shouting, oh, you got to go find such and such. Oh, you got to go find Tommy. Oh, you got to go find Rick. Oh, you got to. And so he's trying to like keep all his notes of like where these guys are because what's happened is we we live in military censorship which we still do today where like if you send a letter when i know we don't really do letters anymore we do a lot of email and and social media and things like that and phone calls are allowed too but back in the day you would write a letter that letter would get shipped via the military and what you do is you write a letter to like new york or you write a letter to california or whatever and then they would get it to the people in the field. And so everyone has these letters that people have said, oh, I'm here, oh, I'm here. And so he's trying to write down the last known spots in Vietnam that these people are. And he even, and again, I'm a sucker for the book. uh, They even have, at the beginning of the book, they have a map of Vietnam. And so you can look at all the places that he went um and this is this is more than obviously the places he went but this is just all the main places so when you're reading about where the these troops are at you kind of are like oh okay so like barker said he makes landfall january what do we say january 18th 1968 1819 yeah 1968 i think because he gets it the idea in 67. so he lands and he is the union representative for the ship because he has to figure out a way, how am I going to get off the ship and move around Vietnam while my ship is unloading so that I can go see these people? And so what he ends up doing is he he makes himself union rep because captains of ships don't like to deal with the union. And so he basically says, hey, my stepbrothers, you know, in Vietnam, I need to, I'm going to go see him. And the captain says, okay, I'm leaving in three days. You have to be have your butt back here. And he's like, okay. So he 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 takes his stuff and he's mind you, he's in Vietnam and he is wearing, and I have the picture of it, so we'll go see if we can get it. He's wearing this outfit. And I don't know if you can see it that well, but he's wearing a basically a plaid shirt and jeans. So it reminds me very much of the family guy where Peter's walking around in a clown outfit and he's like, you guys are idiots. They're going to be looking for army guys. So, yeah. but what's cool um, is he meets one of the guys right when he gets off the boat. So right when he makes landfall, I believe the guy's name is, uh, Tommy Collins. Tommy Collins. Tommy Collins. He meets Tommy Collins right when he gets off the boat. And he gets off. He gets off the boat, and he, like you said, the information that he had is he knew that Tommy was in the 120, 127th MP unit, and he gets off the boat in. Uh, I. Yep. So we apologize for our mispronunciation of Vietnamese words. Uh, Kinong. Um, yep. And he sees these MPs right there. The MPs come on the boat, and he looks at their helmets, and he sees that it's like the the right unit, and he's just like, hey. Do you know Tommy Collins? And the guys are like, yeah. And then he uses that cover story of, so no matter who he's trying to see, he's always the stepbrother. Yep. <laughs> trying to find his his stepbrother. Yep. 
And, um, and, and again, he he is not just running around. He is flashing that Merchant Marine ID with like, that's my reason I'm actually in Vietnam is because I'm a Merchant Marine. So, but yeah. So he's he's got some sort of a bag or satchel with yep. a mixture of PBR, which is Pap's Blue Ribbon for you youngins. Ask and, when you on that blue ribbon. <laughs> and it's another beer called Schlitz, which I don't even know if Schlitz is around anymore. It is, but it's not. If you are a student watching this, obviously I'm going to give my opinion on beer and you're going to have to deal with it. It is not good. It is very <laughs> bad. It is on the mark of beer beer, and I don't think anyone here, myself included, Barker included, is young enough to have legally bought beer beer. <laughs> so... It's bad. <laughs> um, so Arch. he meets, yeah, like so he, right off the bat, he like lucks out because to put it in perspective, what is it? There's there's five hundred thousand. There's a half million American servicemen in Vietnam, and so you're literally looking for if you just narrow it down to the Americans, one and a half, like one guy versus out of a half million, yep. right? And you don't have to be a mathematician to go like those odds aren't very good. Um, so he finds Tommy right away and then what was it? He goes to like a bar Yep. and like sees somebody with like, he knows that his buddy Rick, is it Rick Dugan? Dugan. He knows that Rick Dugan's in the first air cab mm -hmm. and he's at a social establishment and sees somebody with a first air cab badge, yep. um, with the right unit. And he essentially goes, Hey, can I get a ride? And it's just it, it really is kind of crazy because at this point, like there it's a, it's an active war. Yeah, and he's there's zero fear. Like, and I mean there's there's moments where you when you're reading in the book, like you're like, okay, he's legit scared. But it's like there's no like we're gonna die. But you and then this is where it gets an interesting perspective, and this is where I'm kind of kind of introduce this is in 1967 and 1968. Early 1968, the federal government is telling the people of the United States that that we are winning the war and we are dominating the North Vietnamese. Yeah, it's a it's a war of attrition. The idea being put out is that we are capturing and killing Vietnamese or North Vietnamese and Viet Cong faster than they can recruit them and train them. So essentially, like every war, it's a war of attrition, just like how like. Germany in both world wars gets caught between the pincers, you know, and then eventually loses because they can't keep up the production. Yep. Um, that's what that's what America is going to do to northern Vietnam to help South Vietnam remain, you know, independent and democratic. Yep. So he meets this Texan. That's all he calls him. He doesn't give a name. He's like, this is just a Texan with that first cab patch. And and he, he asks if he knows Tommy's in the uh second or bravo company he's in bravo company and he asks him where he is and he says they're in the highlands and he goes i'm trying to catch up with him and the texan just goes why don't you get on my plane then and it's like what like here's a military guy it's like oh yeah by the way my my brother's over there okay cool yeah just get on my plane in your civilian clothing and so he gets on and he makes it he takes him up to uh i think it's he meets him at the Qudon airstrip, and then they fly up into the uh, the Highlands um, to go try and meet out uh, to meet up with Rick. So, 
And he's on his way to meet Rick, and he kind of goes he goes from there to Anki. Yep. And then from I think it's there where he's like he's just walking on a road. Yep. Like just walk. Now this is, this is Vietnam, and if you're not familiar, little children, um, or people who aren't raised by Vietnam veterans, yep. um, like the U.S. strategy is very much to have like strongholds and like fire bases, and then like outside of that, once you're outside the wire, like outside the barbed wire, like you're back in the jungle, like you're back in like the like that's uncontrolled area. Like I mean, it's really not that different than Afghanistan right. was. Like once you're off the firebase, like you're 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 back in the sticks with the bad guys, mm-hmm. is kind of the mentality. And so he's just walking down the road in like rural like Vietnam, where people in like one Americans probably shouldn't be, and two Americans without guns that are in civilian clothes definitely shouldn't be. Right. And he flags down a jeep, and that jeep just happens to have. That ha- that happens to have. So, th- can I read the? Would you mind if I read the text yeah, right here? Because it makes me laugh. So again, he's at on key, and he's trying to get on uh, another flight uh, in an hour. And so he goes. I headed back to on key, hurrying back to make it to the airfield. I walked along a dirt road through the jungle. They closed the road. The whole outfit had been moved out, so there wasn't any traffic. In fact, there was nothing. No shack. No people. I heard an engine. I spun around. A jeep was coming. I waved it down. There were three men in the jeep: the driver in civilian coveralls and the other two in military uniform. We stopped ahead of me. The driver said, "Hop in." He didn't even turn around. I jumped in the back. We got to get to that village quick, man. The good Samaritan said as he drove. But we have a cardinal rule over here: never pass an American. Where are you headed? North. I said, "I'm looking for somebody." What? This is a nice place to be looking for somebody. He remarked. I started to elaborate, and the guy whipped his head around and screeched to a halt. Holy Christ, chick, what the hell? Kevin, the good Samaritan, was my friend, Kevin McClune, who was on my list, and I couldn't believe it. So here's two people that he was not looking for that he just ran, or sorry, they weren't his original intention, and he just runs into them. Yeah, McClune is a is a Marine. He's with the HME 261, the Raging Bulls, which is essentially from my very quick research because I can't just have hmm and not know what that is it yeah. sounds like it's a some sort of a uh like a supply like helicopter unit um and so yeah like he just like, walking through the jungle yeah. randomly gets picked up by a jeep that happens to be driven by one of his buddies from, from his neighborhood from his neighborhood right not just like from the state of new york but like one of the six out of 500,000 people he was looking for. Yep. Right. So they share a beer. I think he talks his way onto like another flight and then onto like a helicopter. Mm-hmm. So he goes from like Anki to Fubai. And then they take him up to there. He's going to some place called LZ Jane, which means that it's not even really a place. It's yeah. just like a fire base that we made up. And it's on the edge of the Asha Valley, which being raised by my dad, I that triggered memories of the movie Hamburger Hill, which. Yep. Great film. Is is no bueno. Uh, it's called Hamburger for a specific reason. Yeah, you don't want to go to the A Um And he gets up there, and his buddy. So essentially, he lands, he gets out, and he's looking for his buddy Rick. And they say, "Well, they're on a they're at an ambush post." And like a you know like, and he's like, "Well, I just I need to see him." And so like yeah. they send and have his buddy like come back to like the main part of the LZ. Yep. Which means that he's like crossing an active, like very active area of like warfare. 
Yeah. Where <laughs> this is this is where North Vietnam and South Vietnam almost touch. Yep. Right. This is almost by the DMZ. It's during the Battle of Khe San, um, like an active battle that's happening. Right. And his buddy shows up, and you know, this is kind of where I guess this is in the, in the film. This is where they show him kind of have the realization that like, oh, this is like a real thing. Like, yeah, we're gonna die. <laughs> yeah. Because they essentially kind of say, like, well, this is your buddy. Like, take him back out to your position. Like, yeah. Which seems really kind of weird. Like, bring your friend to work day, but we're in a war zone. But, like, well, he's here. He's with you. Freaking take him. Yeah. Well, what, what? So my thought process as I was reading the book was the guy got this far. Like, what else are you going to do with him? Like, it's not like you can turn around and send him right back. Like, planes aren't, you know, like, you, you have a mission that you this guy can't interfere with. Yeah. The chopper's and already left that he came in on. Yeah, and the sergeant major basically says, Dugan, you better get him the hell out of here because he's not supposed to be here. I know that much. What do I do with him? And the sergeant goes, he's yours now. Take him with you, which means you need to take him back out to the ambush post you are guarding to try and see if the North Vietnamese or the Viet Cong are going to cross your fire line. While he is still wearing his plaid shirt and jeans. Yep. Very much not dressed like an army guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so they go out there. They, you know, they spend some time out there. Um, it actually gets pretty hairy. It gets pretty active. Yep. I think at one point, his Rick gives him like a, a 70, an M79. Yep, a grenade launcher. Yeah, a grenade launcher, which if, those are the breach action. You know, you put the canister in, boom. I mean, I don't know. Like, again, our dads are both veterans so like i yep. think we have a <laughs> this is an expectation that we know what that thing is yep. <laughs> um his buddy gives him his uh poncho so he doesn't get rained on through the night yeah and then like kind of gets to the point this is where there's a there's not there's a photo taken rick dugan had a polaroid that his mom had sent him a polaroid camera in the and so like they take a picture which provides physical evidence that this happened like it provides and I'll, I'll put the picture up I've, i found it on they had it online yeah there you go um so essentially they're eating he's eating ham and lima beans yep sea which, rations which uh from my copious amounts of vietnam reading were not a preferred meal by people nope. in the field um yeah and then he essentially kind of goes like, like chicky like thanks for the thanks for the beer but like you need to get out of here dude like yeah <laughs> you need to go back and like try and get back on your boat because he's, he's running out of time too is the other part of it right and he he is still trying to meet that three-day requirement like he is he's trying really hard he was going to see who he could see and then he was going to go back and that was it um so he starts the, pushing flights back to saigon is the goal hold on real right? quick hold on so okay real quick barker said it gets a little hairy it gets to the point where they get actually get into a firefight and he's in the foxhole um, next to Dugan when the NVA, which is the North Vietnamese Army, starts shooting machine guns at them. So um, they're able to stop, and then after they survive the firefight, then that's when they get pulled back, and they can give the beer to Dugan and everybody. But yeah, then Dugan tells them to get basically, why go? Thank you, but go. Yeah. Right. And he almost he almost sits in elephant poop. Yes. Um, thinks it's a rock, but it's elephant poop. Which the Vietnamese did use to pull artillery through the jungle. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I remember my dad having a conversation with somebody while we were fishing about the Vietnamese using elephants and whatnot. Gets back to Saigon. Um, <laughs> this is where he goes to try to find the boat, right? Yeah, so he goes up and his boat's gone. So now we have a new problem, right? Because there is no way out of Vietnam. That His boat was his way out. Um, and so they're trying to figure out different different plans of action to help with this. Um, but you think that it's an active war zone. So you think they would want to get any civilians out of there. That is not the case because the Vietnamese army is drafting now 18 and 19 year olds to fight. And so you actually have to have a visa to leave the country. And so now we're in a pickle because he can't leave the country without this visa. He's in, um, he's in Saigon. And so he's basically, he, he's stuck. Like, so he goes to the, the U.S. Embassy in Saigon and basically says, hey, I'm, I'm trying to get out. I'm trying to get out. Well, so is every other Vietnamese, South Vietnamese person, because Saigon is going to be the place that, you know, needs to be captured for the Vietnam War to be over for the North Vietnamese. Yeah, I don't think he like he has his Merchant Marine ID, but he doesn't yeah. have his passport and you can't get visas without your passport. passport. Um, and so he's there, and while this process is happening, um, there's a Vietnamese holiday called Tet that mm -hmm. happens. And in 1968, when Tet happens, this is the beginning of what's known as the Tet Offensive. So the North Vietnamese Army, the NVA, and the Viet Cong, NVA is like the actual like uniformed army of North Vietnam. Like they wear khaki uniforms and they fight. And they have helmets and all, you know, they're, they're uniformed military personnel. Correct. The Viet Cong or the VC or Charlie um, are essentially insurgents who dress like every other person in, like, the whole purpose is they don't look any different than, you can't tell them from other civilians, right? Correct. They're insurgents by definition. Um, and so there's this huge military push at the beginning of this, it's supposed to be a truce. But the North Vietnamese and the Viet Cong have organized and there's a major offensive that they push on. And so, like, they actively, like, are attacking and, like, kill soldiers, like, inside the embassy during, like, January 31st, the beginning of Tet. And I think Chicky talks about being there and he sees, like, this giant mushroom cloud in the distance. Mm -hmm. And he asks somebody, like, like, what the hell was that? And they're like, oh, that was the the ammo, ammo dump? Like... Yeah, the ammo depot. So I'm going to just, with the book and everything like that, to, he, he is trying to get to the U.S. Embassy when the firefight in Tet breaks out, right? Like, because his thought process is the safest place I can be is at the U.S. Embassy. That will be one of the most guarded places, right? There are only, if I remember correctly, there's only three Marines guarding the U.S. Embassy when the Tet Offensive takes place. Now, the North Vietnamese never actually take the American Embassy, or the presidential palace, if I understand it correctly, or they didn't hold it for long enough. They didn't hold it very long, right? And Tet is Vietnamese New Year. And so this was supposed to be a truce. It was the biggest, it's the big deal in the country and everything like that. And obviously the North Vietnamese break that truce to do this. 
their logic behind it is America is talking about how, you know, they're winning this war and the North Vietnamese are almost done and so it was over. And then there's a simultaneous attack. I want to say on like, no, here we go. Uh, Oh, I got the number right here. The death toll of a two month period from January 29th to March 31st, 1968 was 3,895 American servicemen, 14,300 civilians, 4,954 South Vietnamese soldiers, 214 allies, and 58,373 North Vietnamese and Viet Cong soldiers. So again, if you add up all the losses from the United States, their allies in South Vietnam, it doesn't add up to the North Vietnamese and Viet Cong losses. But it was the first time, right, this was a televised war. So, So people could send film to Japan. Japan could immediately play it like that night on the local airwaves so people could see what was happening so the government couldn't say we were winning this war when all of a sudden now all these villages and all these places are being attacked um and they there was nothing to hide behind i mean that's the easiest way to say it so uh and the 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 stat that chicky uses is um he said i would find out later that several thousand guerrilla fighters that attacked saigon part of a force of eighty-four thousand north vietnamese army and Viet Cong soldiers who had invaded a hundred towns or hundreds of towns and key military sites all over South Vietnam that became known as the Tet Offensive. So he doesn't actually give a number of the total places attacked. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, again, Chicky is not supposed to be there. <laughs> and he is in the largest military offensive in the South Vietnamese capital, right? Which was one of the areas that, that the North Vietnam, North Vietnamese army and the Viet Cong were hoping to take over. And he's surrounded by it. Yeah. And so, like, I think that's in the if you watch the film, that's where they take some liberties. They have a an amalgamation character where Russell Crowe is an is a yeah, is a number of different people that Chicky interacted with kind of like rolled into one character for the sake of making things easier to digest because mm-hmm. things get complicated. We get confused. Um so Russell Crowe's character in the film isn't an actual historical person, but kind of a lot of people rolled into one. Anyway, and so he sees this massive explosion. Wow, this massive where, like. Go ahead. Sorry, where his friend is at. So yeah, he's, so he's somebody stuck. says it's long been, and he's like, yep. oh wait, my buddy Bobby, Bobby Pappas. Yep, Bobby Pappas is there. Here's Bobby Pappas. I don't know. If, again, I don't know how much you guys can see, but this is Bobby Pappas and Chicky outside the bunker. Um, and they they estimate that there was was it eight million dollars worth of ammo there. Yep. And it goes up in eight seconds. So like a, a million a second was kind of the thing that they said. And so like again, like this is an ammo depot, which means like it's a stockpile of ammunition. And like if you light a fire and there's things that explode, like there's secondary and tertiary explosions that are happening, like things are still exploding and. <laughs> This guy isn't supposed to be there, and he's going towards the danger. And he finds, again, he uses the same story that he's the stepbrother of Bobby Pappas. And the guy's like, well, prove it. And so, like, oh, go ahead. Rewind real quick. Sorry, just book versus movie. He's already met Bobby at this point before the ammo depot explodes. He's met Bobby because when... The Tet Offensive is going on, and it's it. 
I'm not gonna say it ever stops in Saigon, but when it when in the the heat lowers down a little bit and they're not as bold attacking South Vietnamese forces, he's like, well, I'm stuck here. I can't go anywhere. I'm waiting on my passport and my visa. So he goes to visit Bobby Pappas, and Bobby is in an intelligence bunker in next to that ammo depot. He then goes back to Saigon because he wants to get his stuff. We have then, that's when he sees the explosion and he goes back. Now, what Barker is talking about is a really funny story. And it's actually the part where he first meets Bobby before the explosion. So, like, he shows up and they're like, well, they're like, how do you, like, like you can't, you just, why, like, why are you here? And so, like, throughout the entire story, like, I, I watched a lot of interviews with Chicky, And Chicky's a very uh, kind of gregarious and, like charismatic person even still like in his like older age he talked about like he he's like well i never really lied you know like other than like the story of like i was there to see my brother you know he's like they were they, they essentially had the reaction of like well if you're like if you're crazy enough to be here then you can be here yeah and he was in plain clothes and so there's a not this wasn't the situation here but a number of times he didn't correct people when they made assumptions about who he was and so, like, because he was really kind of confused when people were, like, just kind of letting him, like, get on planes and get on shoppers and, like, flying him around places. And he's like, I think they kind of just assumed that I was CIA, you know, or, like, some sort of, like, government agent that wasn't with the military but part of the, you know, government. And you got to understand, this is Vietnam. We had military advisors. We had people that were active in Vietnam before we were of kind of, like, fully active in Vietnam. And so, like... He has kind of like all of these kind of interesting situations where like he generally talks to lower ranking people and lets them make assumptions that he's important. Yeah. And then when he's questioned by higher ranking people, he goes, well, you wouldn't believe me if I told you why I was here. Like, yeah. and then they just kind isn't, of isn't a lie, but it's not a full on truth that like I'm delivering beers to my friends. Yeah. And what's cool about it is he he defines this. He calls it the CIA effect. And he says that since I was in plain clothes and I was just walk, he's like, part of it was just being confident that, you know, I was going to, I was going to do this. Well, he runs to, uh, he gets back to a long bin and he's looking for Bobby because, you know, he knows that Bobby even said it himself, like it's, it's a ticking time bomb, right? Like it's only a matter of time until someone detonates this and he talks about people had already detonated parts of it before and they call them sappers guys that run in and and lay mines and stuff like that and um and he uh he basically comes out and he's okay luckily and one of the things though is like we start to see a little bit of the reality is when bobby tells him the story part of it was the officer's depot was was blown up or part of it was and he lost five, all five of his officers, like people that he would have been really close with. And so we start to see that, you know, emerging as we go forward. So. And like Chicky originally had had six guys that he was going to try and meet up with. Um, one of them, Joe McFadden, gets malaria and gets sent home. Mm -hmm. um, and then, unfortunately, Richard Reynolds is killed in action on the 20th of January 
and it says in in the Kwong Tri or Kwong Tri province, which is essentially the same area where uh, Rick Dugan was mm-hmm. up in the the Asia or you know up there, so pretty close to where he was, probably like almost like it would be like the day that he landed and was on his way up, like one of his buddies is killed. Yep, you know, and so like he, but I mean just the probability of going up there and trying to find one person you know in an active war zone in <laughs> you know a country like where you're supposed it's supposed to be the military you're supposed to have all these like clearances yeah. to like get on a thing and orders and papers you know to get from point a to point b and he kind of inexplicably is able to navigate it's kind of like the people with the high vis vests that will like put on a hard hat and high vis yeah. vest and a clipboard and just see if they can walk into places because well people just assume that if you have a you know high vis vest and a hard hat and a clipboard that you're inspecting something and you should be there yep. and and it's it's really that to the nth degree and like even chicky says to himself he goes like i really didn't think i was going to be able to pull it off yeah like he doesn't believe it and it's the, i guess the more amazing thing he he eventually gets he meets again meets up with somebody else that he knew from sailing yep and then gets himself a job on a different boat yep. right that boat. He argues he argues union contract yep gets on that boat and gets home and i think the whole trip he leaves in like november and gets home in april yep Does that sound right i am right here just looking really quick uh, he kisses the ground because he gets to Seattle, and that's what made me think about it. <clears throat> New York. I don't have a date right in front of me. So um, there is one cool story that I want to tell, and I don't know if the movie covered it. Did the movie cover the zoo? No. Okay, so one of the cool things that actually happens is during the Tet Offensive, there is no food, right? Because the North Vietnamese and the Viet Cong have surrounded Saigon. There's no way to bring food in or out. But Chicky's buddy, who he met from the Merchant Marines, is on a boat that's waiting. And <clears throat> it's never proven, but Chicky kind of assumes that the longshoremen, so the people who unload boats in Vietnam, are friendly to the Viet Cong and the NVA. And so they go on strike conveniently when, but right before the Tet Offensive. So there's these massive ships in the harbor that are just sitting ducks. You know, they can't, they have MPs, right? Like his buddy, or not Kevin, um, Tommy, uh, Tommy that are patrolling and everything like that. But anyway, Chicky would go. And so now it's interesting because now he has his passport, right? He just doesn't have a way out of the country. So he would flash his merchant marine ID to get in the pier, and then when he would leave, he would flash his passport to come in. But what was cool was the boat itself had tons of food on it, and so he would load a big duffel bag, and he would bring food to people that had been helping him. Families, like he stayed at this little mom-and-pop motel, and so he would bring that family food. He would bring bring food to the bars that he would sit at at night – Right, just so they had food to eat and food to cook, and and they would take food home to their families. Well, he has this guy that he's met up with. He's getting forty dollars a day from this Mr. Min, and Mr. Min 
is a Vietnamese worker for a French shipping agent. And Mr. Min is talking about the, the worst part about this is that, yeah, people are hungry, but there is a zoo in Saigon that has no food. And so people are taking what little food they have to the zoo to feed the animals because they can't let the animals out. And so they're trying to feed them to keep them alive and giving them water and stuff because there's no zookeepers or anything like that. When the guys on the ship hear about this, they load him down with two giant duffel bags of food and get and he starts feeding the animals at the zoo, trying to help and providing that like part of it. And I just thought that was so interesting that here you are in a war zone. You're trying to figure out your own survival and that people can put the needs of others ahead of their own, which I thought was really, really interesting. It's always interesting, like how much like people care about like the welfare of animals mm-hmm. like like, you know, people people are starving, but yet it's we got to take care of these animals at the zoo. Like there's that kind of like moral imperative. And I think it really speaks to like, I don't know, I'm not going to put like I don't know, Chicky Donahue on a like pedestal and say he's the greatest guy ever. Right, but like exactly. it's, it's pretty amazing, though. Like he just kind of has like this really positive attitude, it seems like, where he's like, well, the guys needed to know that somebody cared. Yeah. Like, and, th- and that was the biggest aha I got from the book was that and i and i think we see it today we as a nation i feel like do a better job of supporting our troops and if we have a problem with what the troops are doing or what their mission is we take it out on the government not our troops which i think that was the problem with vietnam and my dad will be the first to tell you and i know your dad would be the first to tell you too uh would have been you know when you got home like you were called all sorts of names, you're spit on, right? My dad talks about how when they got home and my dad was in the Navy, like my dad wasn't on the ground, unlike Barker's dad, who was also in the Navy, but on the ground, because he forgot to ask for a ship, um, which is one of my favorite stories that he ever told me. So <laughs> paperwork's out. important. Yeah, shout out to Papa Bark. Don't uh, get caught holding a baked potato by the pool. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> oh man, there's so many. It, I, we'll finish that in a minute, but I gotta- Okay. The that's what Chicky kind of gets out of it. He learns that Vietnam is in the perspective of what the government is projecting on the people is not accurate. But at the same time, he looks and says, these protests should not be about our troops. These protests should be about our government. Especially since Vietnam was our last war that we drafted soldiers. So people got to choose, didn't get to choose. Bobby, who he finds in the bunker, Bobby technically should have been excused from the draft because he was a father of two young children. And that was one of the rules that President Kennedy had put in place, but President Johnson had removed. And and Bobby had already served in the military. So... It was one of those where it's like you see some of these just these different elements of these things we talk about. And it's like it's it's so interesting. And we were talking about this like this is why we like history is because these types of stories. Like they're not in the textbook. Yes, textbooks are extremely boring. Barker and I will both vouch for that because that's how we have to make our classes fun. Right. And that's what we enjoy teaching. and We enjoy talking about this kind of stuff. And one of the coolest things now is when and Barker gets to do it a little bit more than I do. But my dad is, you know, 75, and I get to talk to him about historical events from his perspective. 
especially more modern ones because he was born in 1947. So it's kind of a cool thing. So back to Barker's dad, because I really want to highlight Barker's dad in this. Barker's dad had a saying for everything. And I remember the first time I met him, it was the best. And your dad's name is Lyle, if I remember correctly. That is correct. Lyle Barker, man. So Barker invites me over to his house. We used to live across the street from each other. Invites me over to his house. At, we're at football practice, um, coaching high school ball. And Barker goes, okay. He goes, Turner, I got to tell you this. And I was like, what? He goes, my dad can turn anything into a Vietnam-related topic. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah. He's like, just try it. He's like, he'll ask you a question. And he's like, you'll talk about something. And he will twist it into Vietnam. And I was like, okay. I'm kind of in my mind. I'm like, challenge accepted. And so we're sitting down at the dinner table. Bark made delicious egg rolls. I still remember them. They were so good. And, uh, and his dad goes, so you're coaching the C squad team. And I was like, yeah, I was like, you know, we got some young guys and we're just trying to build up a team. And, you know, he's like, oh yeah, back in Nam, like we were trying to build up a team, like doing this. And I was just like, okay. Um, that was an easy one. I kind of spoon fed it, but it just, it kept going, but God, that guy could talk your ear off, but he would tell the most interesting stories. It was like, always pay. What was it? Always pay your hooch made right never never piss off the hooch made never piss off the hooch made so so yes my brothers and i grew up and i and i reference this all the time in class that my dad did a great job of imparting us with the the kind of like hitchhiker's guide to like vietnam survival but seeing that the war and the war against communism is largely over it doesn't seem quite as relevant, but it's 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 always just good to know and throw those things out because you never know. Right. Um, like you always know, make sure to know which way your you know your claymores are facing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Never walk that's on the call, trail. That's a Call of Duty reference. Yeah. Too. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, this story. The thing that blew me away about this um, is that Chicky talks about. He's like, for fifty years, I told this story. You know, and like everybody thought I was like full of crap. Yeah. You know, and so finally, I think the what the book gets initially released in 2017. Um, and then there's a re-release in 2020, I think. 2019. Uh, 2015 re-release in 2020. Okay. So uh, I think it's Joanna Malloy. I don't know how to pronounce her last name, but I'm. I have JT. I have JT Malloy on the front of the book. It, it's Joanna. So there's. Um meets like this reporter goes like dude this is a crazy story like tell yep. me your story and like sits with chicky and they collaborate to write the book and then they have a documentary made by pbr which yep. well, I'll, I'll link um it's a 13 minute documentary about it well, and then that, period, like we said <laughs> and then somehow zach efron of high school musical fame sees it and like goes that's a really neat idea that should be a movie and i just think it's the other thing that i just like couldn't believe while i was doing this is that oh what's his name the director is uh, i think it's is it peter um farley or not farley like farley anyway the guy that directs this movie is the same guy that directs dumb and dumber Oh, and Kingpin, call. and like just oh, all of these, huh? I said great film, Kingpin. Yeah, like like something about Mary. Like <laughs> early on, like they did a lot of kind of like Peter Farrelly. 
Ferelli. Ferelli. It's the, one of the Ferelli brothers. Yeah. And so when they talk about this movie, they always talk about, well, yeah, he also directed like the Green Book, which is a great film. Oh, my God. Uh, watch that book. Watch but that they, book. Watch they, that they downplay his earlier stuff. Like they got started by making like the slapstick, like yeah, <laughs> something about Mary, Dumb and Dumber, like Kingpin, like, which are all amazingly entertaining films from that time period. Yep. And then you look at it and go, but now you're making and like, how did they say it? They so you kind of people a lot of people looked at the the trailer for that film and said, is it going to be a comedy? Mm-hmm. And it's like it's it starts as kind of it's like a comedy action like drama, which is kind of like this weird hybrid, you know, movie. It, the, the film is fairly accurate to what happened. There's some liberties that are taken because it's film. But like they actively like they brought Chicky on set. Um, and then the four guys that he, so Bobby, Rick, Kevin and Tommy, like they got all five of these guys together like when they released the film and then like showed them the film before they put it out. And like, there were times where like the guys were like, no, that's in the wrong spot. You got to move this and move that. Like, so that the timeline's right. So like, it's interesting that they actually, there actually was like this movement where today we have so many movies that are based on a true story. Yeah. There's like, yeah, there was a guy with that name in that town and then you kind of made up all the details, but the ending of the story is somewhat similar. Yeah. You know, so like their dedication to try and make it, I guess, kind of accurate. And there is kind of like that take home message about changing Chicky's perspective about the war and, and the media and stuff. And it's kind of a deeper meaning to the film rather than what you think when you first get into it, which I thought was yeah. good. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's just, again, it's one of those stories, like sometimes in history, there are stories that are just so, so random that you're like, there's no way that it can be true. Mm-hmm. But they, 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 I mean, like I, I looked at articles from the New York times, CBS, like, uh, oh shoot. There was this like, oh, like military, like militaryhistory.net, like the history channel history versus Hollywood, you know, like all of these sites, uh, people magazine, Esquire, you know, writing about this. So it's like, everybody agrees that it happened. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's evidence that it happened. There's photographic evidence, multiple photos that it happened at that time. You know what I mean? So it's just, it just took us 50 years to finally get that. And I think a lot of, to bring this around to like a history teacher moment, a lot of kids don't understand, and a lot of people for that matter, I don't think understand that history doesn't happen overnight. Even with the internet and we have more information, I think it actually is going to slow stuff down because it takes so long to like chunk through all of the mass of what we have to try and find these different stories. Oh, yeah. Um, and I mean, Chicky goes on, he goes back to Inwood I think at one point he even buys the he buys the bar. He buys a bar. For, I don't think he buys the bar. I think he buys a bar. But uh-huh. he buys a bar. He is a a sand hog, so he's involved in like he makes his money as a a tunnel driller, like a like digging tunnels underneath New York for like infrastructure for like water pipes or like train tunnels. Mm-hmm. And I think right now he's retired and living somewhere in Florida. Yeah. 
It's crazy. All interesting things happened. Yeah. So the biggest thing that I got out of this was that it it just is such a good it's just such a good it, it's a good story. Like it's just you just and like you said, it's so crazy. And he's telling the story for 50 years. Nobody believes him because why would you? <laughs> like you're yeah, in an like, active war zone. Like who does that? So, um, I mean, that's just what that's so impressive to me. This is I hope that you guys enjoy this. This is Bark. This is one of our longest ones in a long time. We are, you know, crushing our time limit, which is amazing because we don't have a time limit because like our show says, we're going to be here a long time. So if you haven't, the book, I believe I bought it on Amazon for like $12.99. It's 220 pages, totally worth your time. It's written as though Chicky is talking to you. And I love a good story like that. Right. It's just it's I mean, it's amazing. And then, like we said, the movie's on Apple TV or Apple TV Plus or whatever it's called. Um, you know, check it out. Star Zac Efron, Russell Crowe. Um, but just cool stories. Right. And if you have cool stories that you want to hear more about, we love talking about this kind of stuff. Right. Like, that's why we brought you the pastry war. Like, that's why we brought you the pig war. Like, just ridiculous things that have happened. So. Yeah, I think you can buy it for Kindle too for like eleven or ten or eleven bucks. So, okay. right, it, it's it's out there, it's available, and again, like I said, I'll link the the PBR documentary that's thirteen minutes, which is <laughs> ironically far, probably like a third of what it took us to get through it. Seriously, but, yeah, but they're I mean, professionals and they won a beer ribbon in eighteen ninety three, so they deserve it. <laughs> And had to stop making beer during the Great Depression and made cheese instead and almost took craft to the cleaners. And then as soon as Prohibition was lifted, said, nope, we're going back to beer. Yeah, they don't even make – sorry, PBR. I love you, but they don't even make good beer, so it makes it so much worse. All right. Bark, anything else? Nope. I think we I think we got, we got her done. I love it. I love it. Hey, everybody, I hope you're having a good time. I hope your New Year's been great um and everything like that it's just good to be back so uh remember students that watch this if you're one of our tens of followers the semester is coming to an end get your crap in turn in your work i had to give that speech multiple times today so if that's it until next time i'm the turn i'm the bark and we're gonna be here a long time have a good night everybody be safe and by golly you just be well <laughs>